0: i'm Lacey, and i'm kippen we're two friends who love to get lost inside a great story and we're welcoming you to our own little book club this is one page more a podcast hi i just wanted to drop in a quick um, disclaimer for this episode we recorded this about six weeks ago and we were very eager and excited However, we did not have the best recording equipment at the time. (laughs) We have since went and made a couple purchases to hopefully um, make this a better listening experience for everyone. So we apologize and ask you to bear with us um, through a little bit of uh, echoes and background noises. But as we progress, we just expect to get better and better. So thanks so much for listening and hope you enjoy this episode of One Page More. Hello. Hello. All right. So, what's been going on with you this week? Oh, my gosh.
1: Well, I'm still deep in single parenthood, and if we don't get interrupted on this recording, it will be a miracle.
0: <laughs> totally expected. Um, We've talked to back and forth for everybody listening, we had three different children interrupt within about a 10-minute time frame, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we'll see how this goes.
1: Yes. All right, we're going to dive in. I've got the notes up and uh First I guess we need to do an overview. We're going to re- we're uh <laughs> I am so brain dead. It's not even funny.
0: What are we reading, Lacey? What did we read? So we just finished Educated by Tara Westover. Uh, This is a memoir about her life. She really focuses on how she was raised Um, uh, Mormon, which also, by the way, I thought it might be important that Kip and I are both practicing Mormons. Also, we use Mormon, LDS, and Latter-day Saint pretty interchangeably. So if you hear any of those, we're all referring to the same religion, (laughs) just a lot of little subsets. But she is raised by extremist parents uh, who don't believe in going to the doctor, who are government conspiracy theorists, and who are expecting the end of days at any time. So that was just the quickest overview I can do.
1: Yeah, I mean, and a good one. So what do you think? Thumbs up, thumbs down. How many stars?
0: I, this, for me, this is a solid, like, like 4.8 out of five, maybe even a five out of five. I don't know if I want, I I enjoyed it so much more than I thought that I would. What would you say?
1: I would say a, a five for sure. It's like a must read. I mean, it is so gripping and I had so many people tell me to read this book thank me for telling them to read this book. Um, It's a memoir, but it's not slow. It's pretty, um, it's pretty heart-wrenching to read. It's not funny, but if you're familiar with books like The Glass Castle, that's what it reminded me of.
0: I actually had the exact same thought. (laughs) Mm -hmm. She had so many interesting points in her life, but you're right, that there was never really a dull moment and even taking notes for the book it was hard to narrow down because almost every element that she mentioned seemed to be so important for her life yeah yeah so this will be really really fun to (laughs) delve into I cannot wait definitely so let's get started I wanted to talk really quickly
1: just about like what this book reminds you of or like okay because we're both LDS do we know people like this I do not. I certainly know some weird Mormon people, um, but I know a lot of weird non-Mormon people, so there's that. Um, I would say the strangest people I know maybe wear denim skirts too often or, (laughs) you know, have really long weird hair or uh, homeschool their kids and then their kids
0: don't learn anything, but not to this level at all. Oh, and I would say the same thing. And and maybe, you know, I would throw in, I know people that completely believe that they should, uh, or members of the church should never drink caffeine, really low level stuff. Some of my family has really, really low level um, or, or conspiracy theorists in certain ways. <laughs> but nothing to the extent. Her you know, her family was far above and beyond. And I really appreciated how at, as soon as the book started, uh, she has like a really brief intro where she kind of says like she doesn't want um or for her authors note that she didn't really want people that were not familiar with the church because she said she kinda knew that it would probably be publicized in many places, that the church really didn't have a heavy presence. That they're really that they're they, they're really extremists, that this is not like a commonplace thing, so for sure. <laughs> I don't know anybody to this level. Thank goodness.
1: Yeah, and obviously we're intimately familiar with the LDS Church, and if you read this book, it could be about any weird little cult, basically, because there's so, she mentions so little of actual, like, doctrine of what we believe in, and the, also I should say, we both yeah. live and, and grew up in the South. And I just wonder if it would be any different at all. Because Tara Westover's is not that much older than us. Um, I'm in my early 30s and Lacey's pushing 30. And I don't know. I wonder if it would be different if we had lived in rural Idaho. I really hope not.
0: I feel like this is kind of a one-off type. Deal. My brother-in-law is from rural Idaho. Although he's from, I think I read that she was from the, uh, western part he's from the eastern part and i can say that his family does not adhere to most of these things (laughs) they are like southern people with like gun toting but yeah i I feel it will even the book mentioned so much that even they were they were ostracized from their community their community was mainly members of the church mainly you know uh, people that it seems like they'd be in line with but they were really kind of like outcasts because of how extreme they were in their bizarre beliefs Okay,
1: so the first thing I wanted to talk about with this book is the grandparents that live down the hill from Tara and her family. Um, and if I remember correctly, it's her father's mother. And her father is the real instigator of most of the insanity in this book. Um, he is just like a swirling vortex of mental illness that is completely unchecked and then he obviously has a very kind of meek and mild wife that lets him do whatever the heck he wants and her grandparents are painted as these really kind of rough people around the edges where they're very like pretty gruff and obviously have strong opinions and they know that's what's going on in that house is not acceptable or correct and at one point the grandmother even is like hey come with us come out early early in the morning and you're going to come with us and go to i think arizona Mm -hmm. um and you can just leave and you can go to school and it'll be great and um terry doesn't get up the guts to do it but
0: i don't know why what do you think about that? So what was so interesting is whenever that happened, I believe she was around like six. She was a really young kid. And what was what really stood out to me was, it, I think part of it had to do with, like you said, she just didn't have like the courage. But a lot of it, too, was that she, so part of a big reason why the grandmother wanted her to go was she knew that they were, at this point, Tara is the youngest of seven. Her and they were all pretty spaced out. It seemed like her mom had pretty much given up on actually educating the kids, and the grandma really kept pushing, you know, going to school, going to school. But Tara, even at six, was already at this kind of like level of brainwashed where she, you know, didn't or felt that these um, were um, were that these teachers and whatnot were totally going to go and like continue to i guess brainwash her or begin to brainwash her and all these things so i just thought it was really interesting how right at first it shows that as a child she is completely hook line and sinker believe in the father the grandparents it was strange because that to me like you said they knew what was not happening but also they didn't try hard enough to intervene so yeah it was was very very strange situation and also all the little tests and whatnot. Every time that they would start talking about it, it would crack me up. Because they're supposed to all be so devout and so religious. Anyways, you know, very rough on the edges. But I thought that was just so strange.
1: Totally. And I don't know. I think it definitely shows how far just people can go and how crazy it can be. And you really don't know the true story unless you're living in the house. Because, I mean, later, there's just so much abuse and just horrible things that happen that you have to think that anybody in their right mind would, like, call child protective exactly. services or something. Um, another thing that I thought was really interesting is, so the dad kind of gives his own, like, like you said they only almost have like their own little religion going on and like his own beliefs and he feels like (coughs) everybody in their ward which is their church are like gentiles so they're like evil and not devout enough and a lot of it has to do with maybe women working or women like holding any kind of power Mm -hmm. at all and yet the dad ends up forcing the mother into being a midwife, like a lay midwife. And just the hypocritical nature of that whole thing. I mean, there's a lot to talk about with the midwifery to begin with, but just the fact that he can talk so much trash about a woman getting an education or seeking employment and then also push his wife
0: to do just that is totally bizarre to me. He was definitely such a character in the sense that He I don't even know hardly how to explain it, but it was like it was things that he held dear to him. So he didn't mind if the wife was educated in that sense. It talks constantly about uh, the mother was a um, she made her own essential oils and she made her own um, salves whenever she was uh, whenever someone would have an injury. So he it was almost like he justified it whenever it was things that he felt were important. You know, like, he, he didn't care about, like, book learning. You I know, mean, that wasn't important to him, but, like, the living off the land, um, you know, being resourceful, those things were extremely important to him. It was like he gave it a free pass because it was things that he found acceptable. Definitely, and, and kind of the same, I guess, with, um, with like, the church doctrines and whatnot, where he was picking and choosing the things. So, I, one of the things that really stood out to me was uh, Tara was a really young Girl, and she starts talking about how she was taught that she should never have um, anything above the ankles, or yeah, from ankles, I guess, pretty much to the neck shouldn't be shown, and it's you know (laughs) completely out of the norm in regular LDS faith. Just yeah, he he cherry picked a lot of things that he wanted to to focus on. Mm, Totally. What I thought was really cool. And, and I wrote this on in my notes, was like you said. So he really, he talked a little bit of back um, story about his mom and how she worked and it took her away from the homes. And that said, that was probably what was associated with uh, why he didn't really want the girls or didn't really believe in the girls leaving the house to work long hours and things like that. But it what was super interesting to me was it talked about the mom. So all the, oh, and I guess maybe we should have mentioned there a ton of, family members did not want to be involved in the book. And so they all uh, were given fa- or fake names. And so the mom's fake name was Faye. And so it talked about how her mom, so this would be Faye's mother, was raised by a dad who was a drunkard and basically created her to be this social outcast in this little Idahoan LDS society. And so whenever she became an adult, It said that she did the exact opposite where she, you know, wanted her daughters to have this persona of like perfection and how they had to really, uh, you know, have the white picket fence and have the perfect coiffed hair and, you know, everything had to match down to the letter. And so what I thought was just so fascinating were like these weird cycles that all the women kept projecting onto their children. So as soon as the mom got old enough, you know, she marries an extremist and basically doesn't allow her kids to, you know, ever even have to worry about that. Well, You know, they're wearing big blue jeans all day. And like, there was just so many, I don't know, there were so many things constantly perpetuated from from generation to generation that just were so unhealthy and so toxic. It was just crazy to me how this just generational That's true
1: and I think a lot of it probably has to do with the fact that no one in this book can communicate to each other properly Mm -hmm. like they just I mean like the mom will basically like whisper out of the side of her mouth to Tara one thing and then just turn around and smile and agree with her husband in the other breath and like you literally can't I mean Tara and eventually can't trust anyone basically in her entire family save a few brothers and it's just you know. Gosh, it's really
0: awful. Why do you think that is? Because I kept really struggling thinking about this. Is it this that the mom holds the husband in such high esteem? Th- does she truly not see? I guess what I thought was interesting is it never really the book never really um, proved that the mother resented the dad in any way. I would have expected you know her to to kind of feel this almost like a battered wife syndrome or Stockholm or, or you know some show some sort of uh, anger and aggression towards him. But it just really seemed like she, you know, she had no problem with backing him up. I just thought that was so bizarre.
1: I do feel like it's a little bit of Stockholm syndrome. And I mean, the mom is an adult at that point. She has seven kids. So there's a lot going on all the time, right? And so in a lot of ways, I think, I mean, I've just seen it in my own life. With people that I know and love, and they get so used to a way of life that they cannot see beyond their the end of their nose. Everything like it, it all starts by increments. I'm sure that they weren't living this lifestyle when she had, you know, a little baby, and also people's mental illness gets so much worse with age, usually. Um, but I just imagine that it happened. It's like the creep; it just happens little by little. You start getting more and more like your spouse, just like everybody does. And then one day you look around and everything is a wreck and a mess. and But you have nothing else because you have seven children. You've never lived any other way. And I do think that there is, I mean... (sighs) unless you've seen codependency in its true and horrible form, it's like you really, you could not separate people from their captors, no matter how terrible they are. I mean, it's like, why does anybody stay with anybody? And like, they'll turn against their own kids. They'll turn up against everybody defending that person. And it's all because they feel like that's they're powerless. And like, they need that person's love for some reason. I don't know. It's really hard for me to forgive the mom in this book for what she's done and what the father's done and let's we can talk about some more like of their craziness. Like for example, even if you have seven kids, you'd think that you'd remember the year that you were pregnant and gave birth to that child. But Tara's mother and father and her grandmother all have no clue when Tara was born. They multiple times, indicate that they have no idea how old she is and they just kind of celebrate her birthday on a random day <laughs> during a month each year <laughs> and there's a point where i guess they're gonna send somebody to school and they decide like oh yeah we never got a birth certificate for you like let's go get one and then they you know run into all this prop these problems because there's no real documentation
0: it that was so that. That one specifically was so fascinating because there were three people that had a different birth date and they even had three different um, church documents. So throughout Tara's life, they would record and they'd write down her birth date for different things. All six of those provided different dates. So it's not like we're talking about a matter of maybe it was the 21st or maybe it was the 22nd, but it was like truly nobody cared at all all they had no bit of um of a, a, you know a look into the future to see like wow like maybe one day she'll need a birth certificate to be able I don't know for, for someone <laughs> to, to do <laughs> anything <laughs> to be able to live her life as an adult yeah they're they were so wrapped up in the little small things that they believed in and they just they never focused on the important stuff something I was I was thinking about was we never really even talked about um, her. So her her dad was a scrapper is what she called him. And I kept thinking, what does she mean a scrapper? And then eventually it kind of talked about how he owns this junkyard. So obviously they're, they're kind of living in like a reasonable amount of poverty. There's seven kids, the mom, um, <laughs> you know, she sells little tiny essential oils and whatnot. So, I you know, so much of poverty coming in with the lack of education, Coming in with even the the lack of um, society or uh, you know what I mean the ability to be able to have people to bounce ideas off of it just really created where so many of their children they were just all I don't even I don't want to say dumb but ignorant in the ways of. If this is
1: not a story of poor white trash, I don't know what is. Like,
0: no they're
1: just raggedy little children running around a junkyard. The dad's going crazy. Nobody wears a seatbelt in the car. Like, I just.
0: Oh, yeah. that's yeah. a great point. So, something that I felt like that the book, what, and this was maybe one of the most fascinating parts about the book to me. So, there's nine family members that it, you know, is constantly talking about. There are constantly life-threatening injuries to multiple members of this family. I was thinking about, so I am I come from a family of six with four children and then my parents. And maybe I can think of one time where one of my brothers was in an accident that, you know, could have maybe like lost his life kind of thing. One time, and I am a 28-year-old woman. This girl, by the time she was ten, she had multiple brothers that had nearly died. Her, her dad at the end of, or you know, in the middle of the book, gets his literal face burnt off, and I just, I could not believe, like you're saying about like the seatbelt. They just had a total disregard for any sort of safety at all. It is
1: shocking to me that they all survived. Right, like the level of this trauma. It is crazy. I it, It's, like, impossible to talk about all of these, but, like, for example, the mom gets a horrible TBI, when a concussion from a car accident um, when they're driving home in the middle of the night, and then a few years later, they do the same thing, with, which is, like, driving home in the middle of the night and get in another car accident, and it's just, like... It's just complete insanity um there's you were, I, let's talk about when um the son's uh-oh. leg gets burned
0: that to me was one of the most horrible this moments. one I was mean, probably the worst because it's insane yeah. so it did so when this happens, Tara is ten years old um her I think maybe half of her siblings the older half didn't live there anymore. Her brother Luke was seventeen, he's helping the dad on. At the junkyard and basically what happens is his he got gasoline on his leg pants forgot about it uh got too close to fire his legs totally lit on fire immediately so the mom was the healer they didn't go to the hospital so instead they just expected you know the mom to take care of it basically the, basically 10 year old tara walks outside her brother has like little tiny sh- or scarred up stumpy little legs and she is the only person there at the house so she is left to take care of it so she gets a crash can she t- she turns it over and she says you know there's like a dead mouse in it and all kind of like uh you know just nasty mold from a you know in like a crash can fills it with water puts her brother's leg in a bag and just lets him sit out in the sun with his back or with the his leg in a bag for six hours until his mom comes home so it's Um. insane and
1: I like that she's very clear and that she doesn't have clear memories of that like she knows it happened she knows that her brother's leg was in the trash can because I just can't imagine having that kind of trauma as at that young of an age and remembering almost any of it honestly like it would just probably be a blur like so disgusting and it's also like how do any of the like a lot of the brothers most of them leave as soon as they can even if they don't ostracize themselves from the family they leave and get jobs or they leave and go to school or whatever and i think uh As they leave, it gets more and more desperate for Tara because there's still all this chaotic energy and then it's just getting dumped on the younger children.
0: Right, and she's expected to kind of fulfill the roles that her older brothers would have had. So maybe they left at 18 and now she's 10 and she's kind of expected to stand in their stead and do what they would do kind of thing. Right, and do all the dirty work at the junkyard. So, yeah, the... The The fact that this family does not believe in uh, traditional, you know, modern day medicine, it was just astounding that they took absolutely no care to take care of themselves. Um, but I guess what we really haven't even focused on is the actual education part. So uh-huh. I, I think I kind of mentioned that she talked about how her initially um, her mom was really pretty, I guess, reasonably gun ho with her older children with trying to educate them, uh, even, you know, amongst this, like, chaos going on in her life, and then she, I believe it was her fourth, the fourth sibling, um, Luke, the one that also had his leg burn off, or not burnt off, I shouldn't say, but burned really, <laughs> really badly, uh, that she starts talking about how he has a severe learning disability, to the point that he's 12 and 13 years old, and he uh, basically, can barely string two sentences together, and so she kind of mentions like how her mom basically just kind of gives up. So I, she really doesn't, you know, I think she said she learned how to read by reading um, the scriptures, and her parents would allow her to read uh, early uh, Mormon prophets, uh, I guess, you know, different writings or whatever. But that's pretty much all that, that they focus on, and so. Um, When she's, I guess, a, a really silly young girl, her third brother, Tyler, who she dedicates the book to, decides that he wants to go to college. He wants to go, and it kind of causes this big uproar in their family. Yeah, it's crazy
1: to me that they act like he's going to Babylon, and it's literally BYU. <laughs> which we should say
0: is a um, LDS drug school. So yeah it's
1: Brigham Young <laughs> University. It's like one of the most right. conservative universities you could possibly go to. There's like compulsive um like scripture and right. you religious know, classes. religious classes you have to adhere to a certain uh, dress standard you, <laughs> boys and girls don't even live in the same building like... a
0: curfew even as a twenty something year old adult mm-hmm. <laughs> I just yeah can't how hard yeah. that must have been for him to go from to be the oldest and the first one to do it to go from this insane lifestyle to suddenly like having the gumption to just up and leave I mean, I'm grateful he did because obviously it it helped some of his other siblings be able to do so, but i just I just couldn't get over the strength that it must have taken for him to do this,
1: well, and you see he rarely comes home after that, so it's kind of like. You gotta he gets a taste of what it's like not down at the farm and he's not coming Wrong. back. Um, but I mean, despite all this, Tara actually like teaches herself so many things. <laughs> and I think she teaches herself calculus and all kinds of stuff and ends up getting like an amazing score on the ACT. And she gets into
0: BYU. Right. So, right before this happens. And so, um, so as soon as she gets into BYU, it, it starts ch- uh, the second part of the book. But right before that happens, maybe the last maybe three chapters leading up to that, is talks about her brother. So, her second brother moves uh, back home. Mm, and this yeah. is the same in the book as Sean. And it starts talking about initially how he is a good brother. They have um, a lot of good relationships. They uh, talked about how they go on this like week long adventure together where he's working and they're riding in the um, this like a, a rig and they're you know just hanging out, being having a good time, sister brother time. And then it kind of talks about he really flips this switch whenever it's, he starts dating a girl. Um, and he starts showing these crazy manipulative tendencies where he's you know oh bring me a Snickers oh no I don't want a Snickers I want a Milky Way oh wait I didn't ask for a Milky Way I said Snickers you know just really bizarre control tactics Um, anything you want to say about that before we jump on
1: Sean is terrifying I felt so bad for Tara because I felt like they did have some moments where they felt really cl- like she felt very close to him and like he could be her mm-hmm. protector and just the betrayal that must go on with that person then being so aggressive um, and so terrible to her. I, I don't remember if, I guess, this comes a little later. I guess this comes a little later, but like she ends up getting a boyfriend whenever she's mm-hmm. a teenager and she's like kind of involved in some drama stuff like um she starts taking singing lessons i think or theater whatever and she meets this boy and it's so funny to me that like this really is a relationship where he cares a lot about her and wants to date her but nothing happens between them i mean they go on a few dates and like they don't even touch barely and like is. Her brother will just like call her a slut and a whore and all of these terrible names. And it's just like, I don't know, I would definitely say out of all the siblings, he must have inherited his father's (laughs) mental illness because or at least just has a horrible personality disorder where he's just completely um aggressive abusive, and everything the, the
0: way. brother he definitely he even outshines the father in a lot of ways because he's also so physically aggressive T- um, throughout the book yeah. has multiple memories where he snaps her ankle um he's he literally wrestles her to the ground uh, and you know mm-hmm. several several different times like break different bones or sprains them, or just basically humiliates her in in any emotional and physical way that he can. So, yeah, he was, it was, yeah, I was so grateful when she got into BYU. And I, I think that probably was a huge part of why she did get away, because she had such a strong love and sense of family, despite all this crazy stuff going on. And her, her basically knowing that her parents were kind of kooky, she loved them, so much but definitely when her brother moved home that just kind of helped push her right out the door just even more
1: i have a question so it's been a few weeks for me since i've read this book i i remember like maybe one of the brothers going on a mission an lds like service mission did the other ones go on a mission you
0: know it doesn't that's a good point doesn't mention it now it does mention that at least two of the brothers did seemingly marry and then stay involved in the faith, but it doesn't mention that the other ones go on, that they actually did go out and serve. It does mention the father did; the father actually served in Florida, which I found very interesting. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Florida man is. at heart. But...
1: <laughs> okay, that was weird. That was. I actually wonder, like the ones that left and became, you know, like truck drivers or whatever. I'm kind of doubting that they did. They just it's just. Kind of needed to
0: get away. So I don't know. Very they all got married, it yeah. seemed like, really immediately, with the exception of Sean. All the brothers, right. it would, you know, basically, Tara's 20 years old. She goes home and they have like five kids apiece. So they must have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, Okay. <laughs> all right. Moving on. So Tara gets into college. Um, She moves in. With her roommates, and basically, she still allows herself, or she ostracizes herself from pretty much everybody. She doesn't really seem to form connections right away. She refuses help in uh, financial help, but also even like you know, she re- she doesn't go to a professor. She's failing a class, I think it till it says November. So obviously, you know, one month before her semester ends. Like I, I thought that was so interesting how she just. Truly didn't have these kind of, like, social skills to build just regular, genuine relationships. Right. right. To paint a picture of how
1: over, like, underwater she is and how over, like, she just doesn't really know anything about the world. She learned in a college class for the first time that the Holocaust happened.
0: The Holocaust. And also she, she knew about slavery, But she said as a child, she had read a book that her father had provided that talked about how slaves enjoyed being in the care of their basically like their patrons because, you know, they would take care of them whenever they were sick or that, you know, they would provide the financial help for their medical bills. You know, she had no idea that um, the civil rights movement happened in the 60s. She was born in the 80s. So, you know, she had no clue just how long ago that had been she didn't understand she said she would casually heard the n-word and didn't realize what kind of connotation it actually meant yeah she was totally ignorant in basically part of the world. it
1: really is wild it's like this family it's like this family cherry-picked every terrible <laughs> idea out in the world <laughs> and, and glossed them all into one family culture it's like, oh, racism? Sure. Give me a little scoop of, like, anti-Semitism, too. And, like, uh, all the abuse? Um, Yeah. Well, we,
0: like... So, and, and Terry talks about this in two different <laughs> parts of the book. Ruby Ridge, which we maybe, a lot of people know, happened in Idaho. It was basically this father saw, or sold uh, sold off shotguns to members of, I think it was called the Aryan Nation, basically, like, white supremacists. Anyways, got in trouble with the feds. Um, He holed up in his house. His wife and his son ended up dying. This was like a shrine. Like, Tara was always taught that this happened because (laughs) (laughs) because they wouldn't send their kids to school. So whenever she's in college, she realizes, wow, that has nothing to do with the situation not only that she'd been taught that the dad died which he never did and she kind of goes into the different parts of restitution so you know like how I guess different laws were passed about how the feds basically didn't do certain things correctly they gave them financial compensation you know they did you know different things so she realized that basically even the things she had been taught had been so misconstrued by so many false ideas that yeah she really went to college and And had to basically learn, I mean, just as many subjects, you know, she ended up, I think, her, I think she ended up graduating in history, which I found so fascinating. Because imagine how much she had to go back and learn that we kind of take for granted that you learn in basically, you know, 13, 14 years of school. She had to go back and learn it all in just a few years. I'm sure that. that made it even more fascinating to yeah, her go in with no sort of foundation and just kind of <laughs> have to mm-hmm. lay it all.
1: well and she talks about how much she kind of like loathed her roommates because they like <laughs> drank caffeine or showed their cats right,
0: had basically these <laughs> the and that's interesting too she had such high standards for herself and it, not even, I don't even say high standards, but like almost unrealistic standards for herself and everyone else. That, But, but she lived or, like a slob. Right, it said that she would have disgusting dishes she, like, in the sink, didn't even wouldn't shower? wash her hands, had, just, she had no social skills. She just didn't understand how people, or how to be with people. That her family had never taught her this.
1: I did think it was, it again, that this Person, her dad would cherry pick every terrible idea like the whole we don't wash our <laughs> hands after we go to the bathroom What? it's like this fundamentals like how everything says that this family should have died off long ago and yet they all survive.
0: it does say something they all they've got some I, I don't know <laughs> uh, the power of
1: darkness is surrounding so, them
0: After um, after I finished the book, I I, I read a little bit what she wrote and she talked about how chapter two or part two where this is where it talks about her bishop. And this bishop was someone that she was seeing on a regular basis. So a bishop for us would be just the leader of our congregation. And so it, it seasonally changes. And so this person, she said, was kind of like the first real father figure I guess basically when she said father figure, she meant like father with a little bit of common sense <laughs> and how he really helped her in her life yeah. kind of see for the first time that her family was extremely manipulative and, and, and like with Sean, that he was violent. Like she never kind of associated these things with her family before. Like she just kind of didn't have that, um, the ability to kind of like look at that. And so I thought that was really, really cool. The Bishop at one point when well, this was one of my favorite stories, she goes in there and she's got this, she, she's got her like a rotten tooth basically. And she has to have it extracted. She has no money. She's working two jobs. You know, she's trying to put herself through school. She won't accept any help. And so the Bishop was like, you know, you, you're poor, please let's, let's fill you out for this grant. And she says, no, you know, like I don't do that. And then he says, okay, well, I've got some church money that we'll put aside for you. And she says, no, that's sacred money. So finally he says, okay. I will pay for you to get this done. And she still says no. She has so much uh, pride and so much. I mean, it's almost plumb stupidity. I mean, obviously, looking back at it. Yeah. But yeah, she just, you know, even though, and she talks about this intense pain she's in, but like she just cannot let her walls down and accept help, even though it is so needed.
1: Yeah, and she actually calls her mom at some point. And over the years, like, her mom kind of had this. So she was a midwife, and she had her oils, and she's become known as, like, a healer. This was crazy to me that her mom used this method where she would – and I was trying to picture this. Like, I can't even picture it. She would, like, run her fingers (laughs) over people's bodies and, like, supposedly – I don't know what the spirit or the universe or something would make her snap her fingers, like where people had illness in her body, and then that way, and she would just like know how to heal them. It was almost like it was a very um, crunchy, crystal healing kind of pseudoscience weirdness that she was doing. And remember, she like calls her mom and she's <laughs> talking about the tooth and she's like oh i'll just like i can i can heal you from right. here like i can just like send you my vibes and you'll be fine
0: and, and and they and this was also so interesting the mom totally was it fell completely in line with the father where she was like oh don't take medicine and i think at one point she event. oh this was a different time but a different time she took penicillin she had strep and mono at the same time and her mom sends her all these um, essential oils and whatnot. But what she sends her is not for the extreme pain she's in and the exhaustion and how she can't talk and so on and so forth. But it's because she's taken medicine that she's trying to dispel the medicine from her body. because she's so terrified that she'll be (laughs) infertile or that she'll have these long-term problems. I I mean, (laughs) yeah.
1: Seriously wild. So she eventually gets the Gates Scholarship and she goes to Cambridge. And I was completely shocked that she not only got that scholarship, I'm, I mean, I'm sure she was an excellent student after she kind of got her crap together a little bit because she did go through that. Just like, I don't know, she had to learn how to live in the world. But the fact that she had the bravery to go to Cambridge is wild. She
0: must have her, her what's really fascinating to me is her family there is so much intellect there like just there's so many extremely smart um, siblings that came out of these. I mean, I guess her parents at some, you know, had must have had some sort of I, I don't even know, hardly know where I'm going with this, but basically three of her siblings ended up with doctorates, which when you look at their upbringing was just astounding beyond belief to me but yeah she totally grew into this I guess I don't know when I guess it maybe not grew at this point because when she very first goes to Cambridge she's really unsure of herself and she kind of talks about there's a comment that she makes in the book where a, the teacher that kind of had recommended for her to go on this study abroad um for the first semester she was just a study abroad and then eventually she goes there as a student and he she kind of makes a comment how she's feels like she should be the one serving the food instead of being the one eating the food so kind of like how she just really doesn't feel worthy to be there but but yeah she struggles through it all and she goes and then it starts our part three all right um and so one of the I thought So I I kind of get spoiled a little bit, but one of the best parts to me was how it starts talking about how she goes for this PhD. And every time she talks about it, I keep thinking about how, you know, she was like a 16 year old who had never, I think she didn't know what a fraction was. So it's like in such a short (laughs) amount of time, she went from basically no education to going to such a prestigious university and trying to get such a, um, you know, esteemed title to be Dr. Westover.
1: I could also see how when you don't really know anything about the way the world works, you're also not super limited by um, preconceived notions of what you could do. So she gets in academia. She likes what she's doing. And then she's like, well, I guess Mm -hmm. I'll just keep going. So it kind of makes sense because it's like, there's this path for her. And as long as she follows it, she has something else to do. Like the next step is there. And later it like talks about how she has a total nervous breakdown basically. And I think that's part of it. Like she's doing all these incredible things Um, but she hasn't dealt with any of the trauma from her past really and like she's just taking these steps forward but it's like she's still weighted down by everything in her past that I mean just haunts her and also that she still feels so much guilt and shame for because I don't know I, I would I would assume that the thought of not knowing what's next would be absolutely terrifying at that point. It's like, Oh, well, what happens next after I get my PhD? Like I have no family anymore or whatever, or I'm living in sin or whatever. And all that stuff kind of like compounds. Um, And I don't remember whenever she's, it at cambridge is it her sister that reaches out to her or does she reach out no to her
0: so it's the sister reaches out to her she talks about how i think maybe she went home for a holiday and she kind of made a comment and she was actually repeating her brother's comment what was like uh you act like a child i'll treat you like a child or something like that and then she said that her sister has this shocked look on her face because she was talking to actually her her sister's child and then she she makes a comment like wow like Sean said that and so and so mm-hmm. up until this point it had it had. I'm trying to, there was probably at least six different uh, serious occurrences that she mentions where her brother had like physically abused her or had made references references to killing people or uh, just like really really outlandish uh, things yeah, total <laughs> like psychopath said. so yeah so her sister reaches out to her uh, and this is Audrey's. This is her only sister. And so she basically just kind of, um, they kind of start talking about how they were both abused at the hands of Sean, their older brother, um, and how they want to hold him accountable, which I thought was such a brave response. And also really interesting because so much time had passed, but it just showed, like you said, they just hadn't dealt with stuff. Like, you know, they might be 10 years down the road and you know here she is literally in another country working on a degree but she's still not passed a lot of these things from her childhood
1: yeah, yeah. and then what happens next is so devastating because they open up to their mother and then their mother agrees and then gets in like an ex-girlfriend of Sean's who also claims that he abused her and was terrible and stalked her and all this stuff and then it all culminates and you like I mean I'm sure for her it was like this uh, release like oh my gosh I can't believe this is happening like it must have felt very empowering and then they totally just like pull right. the rug out from so, under yeah. her. And this was interesting and... too because
0: this all happens when she's at home. So typically, you know, she's gone. Yeah. And so, I, and I think she kind of talks <clears> about <throat> how it can be a little bit out of sight, out of mind, you know, because she's just not there. But I think maybe this happens over like a Christmas holiday <laughs> or something. The brother makes a comment about. Uh-huh. Um, so Sean, I should be specific. Sean makes a comment about killing Audrey and Tara is really disgusted by it. She goes to her father, brings it up, and is basically like, you guys know that Sean has been abusing us. Y'all haven't dealt with it. Um, and, she, you know, she kind of makes her peace, and she goes to another room, and she comes back, and her dad is, you know, hanging up the receiver. Sean wants to talk to you. He's on his way up here. So, oh, yeah. gosh. I was, this moment, um, to me, out of all the moments in the book, probably showed showed her father in the worst light and at this point he had you know he had caused her to be physically harmed at the junkyard you know he taught her all these terrible principles and all this craziness but this one was so disgusting to me because it just showed one he didn't care at all about his either of his daughter's feelings not even just their feelings, but he just totally disregarded what they said as, and, and put her truly in, like, harm's way. I was so disgusted. I can hardly even express it.
1: And this is definitely a turning point for Tara, I think, because I, I feel like she was almost mm-hmm. leading a double life because she was in school, she was excelling, she was doing all this stuff. But you'd think that anybody in that position would have realized long ago that they were never going to change their family's mind. And if it had been me, I'd like to think I never would have stepped foot in that house again. Like, nothing would have made me want to go back and and ever see these people again. But she's still trying, and she's still, like, pulled to them for some reason. And... So when she goes in there, and then basically they just side with Sean and are like, Sean's right, you're garbage, you're garbage trash, and we're choosing him, and if you can't deal with that, then we never want to see you again. Um, I mean, it's horrible, but in a way, at least it, like,
0: helped her move I forward. Don't, I don't even think they even took it as a, we don't want to see you again. It was more like, we want you to... Yeah to admit that you're lying and we want you to turn away from that because you've been overtaken <laughs> by Satan. So it was, it was just, yeah. they wanted her to, ex- to, to proclaim basically that she was a liar and that she kind of did it all for attention, which he does. She actually, she says that, you know, while yeah. she's confronted, by the way, her brother um, drops a bloody knife in her hand. He doesn't know how blood it is. We find out <laughs> later he had killed his beloved oh, dog in front of his son. So there's that, but yeah, how she, you know, she talks about how she just kind of was overcome with this um, probably just insane fear where she starts saying like, Oh, I, I didn't say that. Dad, you, you misunderstood. Like I would never say, I love Sean. Sean, I know you would never hurt, you know, and, and, and turns around, but yeah, just the family, they, they have such that, like you were talking about their ties are so close. So at this point, Tara goes home to Cambridge. She's in school. Sean starts uh, or realizes that she does, or or that she that he does uh, that she does hold him accountable and believe these things, and so and this starts her estrangement from her family. This was so hard for me to understand because I could understand Sean and Luke; those were kind of like the two. most uneducated brothers that I thought like, okay, I could understand them siding with their parents. But what got me was every other sibling initially did, including the sister who had reached out to her for help, including her two brothers who both were well-educated. It just, that was so hard for me to believe, but it, it was just, I guess their family ties were so strong that they just did not want to lose their parents that all the siblings decided We would rather have mom and dad than have you. And
1: and I should say, like, we should say that at this point, somehow, through the mother's work, Mm -hmm. Faye's work, they have transformed her little midwifery and healing practice into this, like, million-dollar essential oil business. And when she goes back to visit, it's just, like, uh, this completely different scenario because they have money and they support. have work built onto the house. They also support the, the whole community Seems to be working for them now, which I'm sure is a nightmare for her because it's like these are the last people that wow. need any more power. But like almost every other sibling works for them in some way and they have nothing else. So it's like I don't agree with what they did but that to me makes a little more sense in that wow if I break with my parents over Tara who I haven't seen in years anyway and she probably thinks they probably think she's all stuck up and blah 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 they lose their whole everything and which is an awful position for anybody to be in but yeah they should have stood up for her it just is disgusting the way they treat each other and I just had a thought. Like it's kind of interesting. Like I'm sure they are so close because they all grew up in rural Idaho, and they were all pariahs and didn't have any right. friends except for each other. And so it makes sense that you'd be somewhat like, I don't know. It's like their own little cult, and how hard it is. I to guess that's true. That. They
0: they had no one but each other. So. So they, they had yeah. to cling to each other through through any type of insanity. They just, there was no one else. Besides eventually their siblings right. who, or siblings. Besides eventually their um, uh, spouses who also were employed by 50 people.
1: So. Oh, right. Like at the time that we're recording this, we're still kind of in like quarantine. And we both have little children. And yeah. I feel like one of the perks is that they're making... Like, their relationship and their bond can be so much stronger because they're having to be each other's little Only friends other. all the time. <laughs> yeah, but if that's, like, your complete and total lifestyle your entire life, uh, I mean, that, it just, it must have felt impossible to turn your back on that. Um, so, in the end, she does end up having one sibling kind of stick up for her, which is Tyler. And his wife and she kind of calls them like her shaving graces. She also has a boyfriend during this time. I thought it was a little odd how she categorizes that relationship in the book. Like, I don't know if that was just for his sake. Like she didn't want to air their, Like this story wasn't mm-hmm. about their relationship, but I would have appreciated a little bit more color or maybe she just does like, Maybe their relationship did feel extremely
0: disconnected at
1: this time because of her mental like, state. Was, I don't well, know.
0: With, so with Drew, which is the last boyfriend she has, it, mm-hmm. he's actually the first boyfriend mm-hmm. that she ever tells this stuff to. So it's that up until this point, you know, she basically uh, would just kind of hide any information about her family or would lie about it and say, like, oh, it's not really this. Where Drew was the first person that she would basically say, like, look, this is what my brother did to me. This is how my family raised me. This is how insane we were, for you know, so I think as she got older, yeah. she just had a yeah. relationship. But at the very end of the book, by the way, it talks about how she says Drew is a, I think, like a great friend or something. So I think maybe just they had a right. romantic relationship and it eventually just kind of fizzled out. But they remained such good friends that she didn't want to, like, pepper the book with too much. Right. right. She doesn't want to drag him. Friendship. That's yeah. how I took it. Maybe yeah. not. Um that makes yeah. sense. So after so after Tyler basically comes out um in her defense, her grandma, so this would be grandma in town. So this is the maternal grandma, ends up dying and she goes home to her funeral and she talks about how she has these preconceived notions about her grandma that basically she finds out were totally unfounded just because of her her father really didn't like her. And but while this happens Um, she's ostracized from her family I think she says maybe two or three of the siblings kind of like maybe say hey or like a really casual you know wave and some of them completely ignore her her parents pay her no attention but she really begins to form other relationships so her two mother or her mother's two sisters she had no relationship with and suddenly they became extremely close in the book she shares like you know how they would just say oh we're so excited we can't wait to see you and how her grandpa was a devout um, who would attend the LDS temple every week and how he skips it when she's coming home because he just can't wait to see her. So I was so grateful that she suddenly had these people that were willing to kind of take a little bit of, um, you know, take her under their wing a little bit to be able to give her a little bit of solace so it's not like she's lost everyone in the family you know she's built these new relationships and how important those must have became to her
1: yeah i will say so i grew up in a household where i had a parent with mental illness and i did not suffer even like a quarter of this kind of horrible abuse but it does shape your life and like even as in I can just think of silly things, right? And I mean, this happens with or without mental illness, but like there are things in my life where I've been, you know, 27 or 28 years old and I'll say something really random, like just an off-the-cuff little fact, like, oh, did you know that so-and-so did this? And whoever I'm with will like stare at me and they're like, you know, that's not true, right? Or like an assumption and it just like, it makes you feel like, you're the stupidest person in the world because it's something that your parent told you and then you just assumed was yeah. correct and true and then later you find out that it's not and so
0: so it warps your reality
1: <laughs> yeah it really does and it's just stuff that you carry and it affects everything in your life and I don't know I would love a follow up. Like, I really did. I have not looked at any interviews with Tara or um, any follow ups. I read like one profile of her that was in Deseret News because I was really interested in how they were to report that, um, which was fair enough. Like, it was a good profile. But I would love to just kind of watch an interview with her of her talking about this. And,
0: maybe explaining it a yeah, little more I read a couple and so and at the very end of the book she she says it's been years before uh, or at this point from the time she's spoken with her mother or her father um her brothers Sean and Audrey I think those are maybe the four specifically that like we'll have nothing to do with her the rest of them maybe will you know mm-hmm. have a little words here or there but they're not like close other than I think um Richard Tyler and Tony but, yeah, she, you know, it's talked about how she reaches out to her mom and how she still is, like, trying to keep that relationship. But her mom just says, like, you know, you're not willing to have a relationship with your dad. I'm sorry, but you're not going to have one with me. And so she's just, she, at this, like, the main takeaway that I took from this book was at the very end, how she really realized she had to leave the mountains, leave her home, and even eventually leave her faith, you know, all that she knew growing up, to be able to take care of herself, she had to finally realize, like, you know, I've got to put Tara first above all of this other stuff. You know, I love, you know, basically she knew she loved them, but that they were extremely toxic and she could not have that in her life and not be happy at the same time. There must have been so much healing in
1: actually getting the guts to write this book because it really could be read in many ways as a betrayal to Mm -hmm. cast such a negative light on people that you do love and I like I totally can understand that because there's certain things that like I have lots of stories in my past that are so funny and like I would share them privately but I would never mention them publicly because it would like put my parents or put my whatever in kind of a negative light and i it like it just shows you how much she's moved past that that fear and that shame that she can actually write this and feel confident in that like she didn't do anything wrong and that these
0: are facts of her life she she really tried to to tell the truth and and i think that that was so important for her in the book is to not to not move past that there's so many points where she keeps giving authors notes saying like you know this this is pretty accurate or if this is like or here's this is how I took it this is how another person said it was like she wants to say it Mm -hmm. exactly as it was leave it black and white and basically lay it out there and kind of allow I guess people to see into her life but still have the ability to be um to take it any way that they want to I guess yeah I love yeah. Book. so good.
1: anyway read this book it was
0: so good you'll be riveted there's so many great and... moments we still didn't even talk know. about but yeah it's totally worth a read it was it was a very fast read if you enjoy <laughs> anything like this at all you'll blame it. I know
1: I know you flip back and forth between audio mm-hmm. and then reading it. Does she narrate the audiobook and did that change like, your perspective at uh, all? I don't when believe it was it? her.
0: That's a good point. I don't okay. think it was her. I will say that was extremely helpful. So whenever I was driving, listen to the audiobook. Whenever I was sitting at the beach, pulling out the book. <laughs> Best of both worlds. Gotcha. Okay. The last thing I want to talk about
1: really quick. And yes. this is just silly. Why do you think in the Mormon community, that essential oils are like a thing. Like a thing. They are around the globe. I think everybody's gotten an awkward Facebook message inviting you to an oil party. I myself am diffusing lavender oil <laughs> in this room <laughs> as we speak. Mainly because I'm allergic to most candles and I like the way it smells. But it there's just this link. There's like two huge um oil uh companies that are like based in utah i think it's young living and doTERRA they're the most successful ones that that
0: i know of yeah
1: (laughs) yeah like those are the those are the big ones and man it's just like on fire
0: and apparently they're still successful did you look up their oil company it's like butterfly it it was on my list of things to do but i did not get around to it i wonder really big. Their
1: website is really Bobo. Like I'm i was gonna get on there after this and go
0: check it out. <laughs> yeah. I was too busy trying I mean, to research about Tara's life they... and like what she did after the book. I just needed every right. detail. I needed to know <laughs> so much about her. I don't know. I do think that there's
1: like this vein of anti establishment kind of stuff that's in Mormon culture.
0: I mean that's true. my own family. The way, it's to a degree, yeah, um like my 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 a lot of well, my father and my two brothers are not or not anything close, of, you know this man had the father had like a thousand gallons of gas buried, but you know my family definitely is like the kind of survival is <laughs> right. where they're like we could live off the land if we had to, <laughs> maybe that's just a southern man thing, but I don't know, maybe it's also part of the uh l c s community. Thrown in there as well, so I don't know. It's definitely lingering out and about. It is a thing. Don't sell us your oils, please. (laughs) Unless
1: you want to sponsor us, I would take an oil sponsorship. Well, at this point, we'd probably take any sponsorship. (laughs) Doggy doppers? Yes, we'd love
0: to. (laughs) We'll give you a plug.
1: All right, to our three listeners farewell right. we'll be
0: back probably with where the call dad sing got it coming in on amazon so talk later. this has been one page more thanks for listening please leave us a five-star review